today on CityCast Salt Lake. In February, 19-year-old Jifan Dong, an international student at the University of Utah, was killed by her boyfriend in a motel room in Salt Lake City. If you lived in Salt Lake when Lauren McCluskey, a student athlete at the U, was murdered on campus by her ex-boyfriend, then Jifan Dong's story might seem eerily familiar to you. Salt Lake Tribune reporter Courtney Tanner has spent five months pursuing records from the U that now show similarities in how these two young women's lives ended and how the university mishandled their safety. Today's Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Courtney Tanner, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for having me. You did not meet her before her death, but you wrote this beautiful story about Jifan Dong and who she was. What was she like? Yeah, she, I mean, her parents described her as just this beautiful, warm, compassionate woman. She loved drawing. I mean, she has these really fun kind of magical paintings of of caterpillars and ants eating dinner. And, you know, she loved mm-hmm. to cook and she was, you know, wickedly smart. She she was the highest in her class um, growing up in China. You know, she went to the best schools and had the best scores of anyone in her class. And, mm-hmm. you know, this young woman that's just kind of just barely growing up and, and figuring out what she likes and an avid reader I should say there were books stacked around her house which her parents yeah. have left there um, you know they miss her and it's kind of a reminder of her yeah and she died in February you've been covering these tragic events at the University of Utah for almost four years now since the murder of student athlete Lauren McCluskey on campus what was your first reaction when you heard about Jafon's death? I have to admit, I kind of immediately worried about some failures. The U doesn't have a great track record, as we all know. Um, Lauren McCluskey's case really stands out, but it's it's not the only one. There have been other students in, in recent years that have also died from intimate partner violence. You've got Sarah Hawley and Mackenzie Lewick and uh, Catherine Peralta, who was a staff member at ARUP. And you also have international student Chen Wei Guo, two football players. It's it's really a long list here with the university. And so, you know, my initial concern was what went wrong here? You know, what did the university know? When did it know it? When could it have stepped in? And why did it not? I, I immediately kind of went, went to those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Another one of the parallels between Jifan's death and Lauren McCluskey's death are that they are cases of intimate partner violence. And I'm curious what you're hearing from folks in the community, from other students, from domestic violence experts about how this went down. I think initially there's a lot of concern among students at the University of Utah. There is fear that the university isn't going to protect them, that if they report something, you know, like Jafon did, like Lauren did, that no one's going to help them. Mm -hmm. And so there's concern from from students and parents who, you know, maybe don't want to send their kids to school there. Yeah. And domestic violence experts are, are concerned as well. You know, they're saying that these are, you know, pretty standard, pretty, pretty first of line you know, signs of domestic violence. Chiffon had told them, you know, I'm afraid of my boyfriend. He's <laughs> threatening me. I have a protective order. I mean, those are kind of, you know, 
one, two, three, they're saying those should have been recognized. And at the very least, if you don't recognize the sign, believe the victim, believe the victim first. Right. So she, to be clear, she already had a protective order when she went to the university. She did. So there was a domestic violence related assault between her and her boyfriend on January 12th. The police, Salt Lake City police who responded to that, issued a temporary restraining order. And then she, Jafon, went to the university two days later and told them about that. They lived in the same dorm building and she was worried. Hmm. And that communication to was to the University of Utah police or to the housing? To housing officials. Yeah, it didn't didn't go anywhere from there. I mean, it sat for about a month with housing officials who struggled to get a hold of both the boyfriend and Jafon Dong, you know, struggled to to really take any action and, and for a month didn't tell police, didn't get police involved. And then when they did get police involved, then what happened? Yeah, it's a pretty quick end to the story. Three days later, Jafon was killed. You know, police had tried to reach out to her. Um, she was staying at a hotel at that time. Mm. And uh, yeah, it escalated pretty fast from there. Hmm. So my understanding in the shortest possible version here is that the legislature passed a law earlier this year that would make it more difficult to make public records requests, specifically those of public employees, which employees of the University of Utah are employees of the state. Did that impact your records request process or will it impact future ones like this? I definitely worry it will will impact the future ones. I mean, this has already been, you know, a difficult process. I mean, we talk about, you know, five months of fighting for records that really would have been nice, obviously, to have right after this happened. You know, the university releases them and says, this is about transparency. But for me, that's what I was fighting for for five months. Right. So. Right. It also just feels like, I don't know, it's such a strange choice on behalf of the university to fight this records request, knowing that ultimately you would get them. And it just makes when the information comes out this way, it's just worse. It's more difficult. It's more contentious. I don't know. That's just my like personal feeling. But um, it's it's really hard to get records from the U. I mean, honestly, how did you eventually get them? What did it take ultimately? It's a long process. Um, mm. So you you know initially file your request, they deny it. You appeal to the university. They deny that appeal. You appeal again. They deny it. And then you go to the state records committee. And so I made my case to the records committee in June and they granted my appeal and ordered the university to release records in this case. Um, I specifically was looking for the University of Utah's campus police report. Mm -hmm. And the university had until the end of July to provide that. And then they released kind of a trove of, of everything, all the documents in the case. So what when we say like records, capital R, right? Like, what exactly is that? Like you get all these records, you're laying them out in front of you. What kind of things are you looking at? In this case was more than 100 pages of records. <sighs> um, yeah, just a, an immense amount to go through. Um, there were logs of, you know, the contact that housing employees had had with Siobhan Dong and with um, the man that she was reporting. Mm -hmm. And there were there was the police report, 
there was conversations between staff members about what they needed to do or what they thought they should do. Mm-hmm. Some of those kind of veer into unprofessional, you know, communications, which the U acknowledges. Um, what I was looking for specifically um, was anything that kind of mirrored, you know, McCluskey's case where McCluskey had gone to the University of Utah, asked for help, and there was this kind of lack of action. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact thing that happened with Jafon's case. So she went to the university about mid-January, and they wait three to four weeks before the dorm staff contacts campus police, which should have been an immediate thing because, you know, she's reporting domestic violence. That should have been a red flag to get police involved. But there's about a month's delay in between that. Wow. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is When I Come Alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. I think the big question that we're all trying to answer here is, was Jifan Dong's death preventable? Yeah, I, I'm think a lot of folks are wrestling with that and and it's going to depend on who you ask um you know mm-hmm. Jafon's roommate says yes it was preventable Jafon's parents their attorney say yes it was preventable and you know the U does admit fault you know it said that housing employees didn't act like they should have didn't respond how they were trained to respond and and there was a lag I think it's a question you know, you can never really answer in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that there were interventions that were definitely missed. Hmm. Has the you said why that is? Yeah, it's it's complicated. Um, you know, they say that they trained housing staff to respond to these things following McCluskey's death. You know, it promised to make all of these improvements. Right. And it says now, you know, that the training that it instituted it wasn't deep enough, essentially, that it was it was kind of surface level and that they need to essentially expand it in the future, make sure that the training really is effective. Yeah. The university, I mean, it was just a couple months ago that we got the results of an external audit that the university had had done, basically a probe into its own historical failures. And the results of that audit one of the big ones I remember was communication failure. And it sounds like in many ways, that's what happened here as well, like communication between departments. Have they accounted for that? Like, I guess, like what now? Like they've already done all this probing. What's their plan moving forward? Right. And and state auditors, yeah, came to the same conclusion too, that, that there were just 
this huge problem. I mean, it's a university, there's bureaucracy, but, you know, state auditors came to this conclusion that it was just beyond that, that there were so many silos and information was just going kind of nowhere. Hmm. And I don't know, you know, what the solution is, because it is, you know, the same problem that we saw with McCluskey's case three and a half years ago. I mean, that people were told information and it never got passed around and never got told to the right person. No one acted. And it's happening again, or it happened again with Jafon's case. And, and there is concern, you know, about avoiding a third case like this. Yeah. I'm interested in what the experience has been like for you reporting this story and four years worth of similar stories. You're an alum of the University of Utah. You're a young woman. What was it like looking through these documents and realizing that your hunch was correct? Yeah, I have to say it's it's surreal. I don't know if that that is fair, but yeah, I mean, I I lived in the same same dorm buildings, the same area as both Jafon and and Lauren McCluskey, and mm. you know went to the same school, and and it's it's hard to see. It's and and any journalist I think will tell you too that it's this is a heavy topic to to deal with for four years. You know, of, of just continued fallout and failures in seeing the same thing start to play out again is uh it's concerning to say the least um it's exhausting yeah I'm curious what's next for you in reporting this story like where do you go from here yeah I ask myself that every day I'm I'm sure my editors would love an answer too (laughs) um it's it's tricky you know it's it feels like we reported on all of these failures, you know, for the past three and a half years and, right. and thought that that work had, you know, moved some ground. And, and here we are again, seeing that the same problems are in place. Yeah. So, you know, continuing to pick at that, continuing to make sure that we're holding the university accountable for actually making changes. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it, too, will be honoring Jafon. We did an obituary to, to talk about her life. So it's not just focused on how she died. Right. Yeah. And the obituary is really, I mean, it's a heartbreaking and a beautiful read. So thank you for writing that and sharing it with us. Yeah. And thanks to her family for being willing to talk. I mean, this is every parent's nightmare, obviously, but I appreciated them being willing to to remember who she was and, and a beautiful person there. Yeah. Courtney Tanner with the Salt Lake Tribune. Thank you so much for joining us. You are a fantastic reporter and we're really lucky to have you telling these stories in Salt Lake. Thank you. Thanks for letting me talk about it. One more thing before we go. I encourage you to read Jiffan Dong's obituary in the Salt Lake Tribune. I've linked it in our show notes. It was also written by Courtney Tanner. If you're not familiar with the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, it's a really good resource to bookmark. If you, or in case someone you know, is experiencing intimate partner violence, they have a 24-hour hotline that offers free and confidential support. It is not the police. And that number is 1-800-897-5465. One of the coalition members is the YWCA, which has an entire holistic safety department and offers everything from crisis sheltering to legal assistance. They have drop-in child care and even a meditation space. Another resource is Rough Haven, 
a network of loving foster homes for your pet while you're going through a transition. All of these organizations exist to support you, your friends, or your family if you ever need it. That's our show today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. Several folks reached out to me to let me know that my comment in yesterday's show about Salt Lake streets being designed for cars was wrong. Our wide streets were designed by Brigham Young, and they're that wide so that a carriage can make a U-turn. But you probably already know that. So welcome to Correction Corner. This is my first stamp. All right, history buffs. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Take care. Take care.